With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. Can't see him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Good evening, Raid fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we discuss everything racing. Uh, joining me in the studio tonight is uh, Mr. Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune, uh, Mr. Richard Uden from my, my, my favorite race engineer. Uh, a little later tonight, uh, Joey Barnes from IndyCar.com will be on the program. How is everybody tonight? Doing good. Very good, thank you. Let's knock out the headlines real quick. Daytona 500, the Gibbs cars went one, two, three out of seven cars that were left. Uh, and in the process, Denny Hamlin becomes a uh, two-time Daytona 500 winner. Speaking of guys that have won a Daytona twice, we've got a special guest in here with us tonight from Atlanta, Georgia, Spencer Pompelli, who drives the uh, Porsche Cayman in the SRO Motorsport, Motorsports Pirelli GT4 America Series for the Racers Group is with us tonight. Spencer, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So thanks for coming on the show. Uh, let's let's briefly uh, let our listeners know who you are. I know that you grew up in a racing family. Uh, your dad uh, used to run the old uh, IMSA Camel GT Series, I believe. Uh, so you've been around racing your whole life. Uh, have you kind of always wanted to be a, a race car driver from uh, hanging out with your dad at the track, or is it something that you kind of thought of later? Well, if you think way back to the late 80s and IMSA GTP cars, I mean, there was uh, glamorous cars, a lot of attractive women, exotic locations, downtown Miami, you know, um, Long Beach and California and all over the East Coast. It, it was just as a 13-year-old, if, you, if you're around that environment, uh, it, it's not hard to get that bug to go race. And that's where it started for sure. So, yeah, I kind of always wanted to do that. The path that led me to actually get from there, watching, you know, all the cool uh, 962s and Nissans and Jaguars race to where I'm racing now is long and crooked. But uh, I'm here now, and, and that, that's kind of really where it all began. All right. Well, fantastic. So now, we had just mentioned uh, you're a two-time winner at Daytona. Now, that's not in the 500. That's in the Rolex 24. And I, I know you guys thought the uh, – 
the Daytona 500 was a pretty long race this past weekend, but uh, the 20, the 24 is even longer. Seth, you've been down there to the Dona, Daytona, the Rolex 24. Um, now, it's just a, it's just an amazing atmosphere down there because you, you've got literally hundreds of drivers down there, and you've got drivers from every discipline in the world. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of IndyCar guys will be in there. You'll have some current and former Formula One guys. Uh, a couple of guys will, will come out of NASCAR and uh, try to try their hand at the, at the road course there in a sports car. Um, so, so when you're there for, uh, you know, the, the 24 hours and you've got your brakes and whatnot, is there, is there a sense of camaraderie amongst all those driver, drivers? I mean, do you guys kind of seek out one another and, and trade stories is it you know is it a bit like a big reunion well yeah absolutely there's a lot of that to it unfortunately last couple of years i've been finding myself running both the 24 and the continental tire sports car challenge which now this year is the michelin pilot cup and so that keeps you very busy because you got to do all the practices and then all the racing and there hasn't been a ton of time to actually go out and meet some of the guys like alonzo who have been there who's been there recently but uh one of the neat things for the fans and for the drivers is we do get to kind of interact with some of the other drivers from other disciplines. In 2011, uh, when I won the race with the, the racers group, I had uh, Andy Lally, who's a good friend, was one of my co-drivers. And we had Wolf Hensler, who was a Porsche factory driver and a, a gentleman from Chicago named Steve Bertho. But we needed a, a kind of another ringer to, to come and help us win the race. And Kevin uh, knew Brendan gone, as did Lally from their time in NASCAR. So Brendan came over and was just uh, absolutely impressive with his road racing skills and was a big part of our win in 2011. And then I want to say in 29, uh, 2009, uh, Bobby Labonte was driving for TRG in, in Nextel Cup, I guess it was back then, or maybe a Sprint Cup. And uh, we got him to come and drive with uh, some of the, the top Porsche factory drivers. We had Romain Dumont, uh, Emmanuel Collard, myself. And Bobby's pace, his first day in the Porsche at Daytona, was on par with absolutely all those guys who had spent their lives driving those Porsches all over the U.S. So uh, I was really impressed, and it's a lot of – it's an opportunity for us to kind of talk to those guys about what they do, learn more about it. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm a Brendan Gaughan fan for life now, and I always try to follow his racing. And, of course, Bobby's not driving anymore, but I would, you know, follow him too. So we feel like we have a connection to everyone when you get to Daytona. Yeah, it, it is quite an amazing event. So now, as far as the rest of your your schedule is concerned, we've talked about uh, you ran the Lamborghini uh, for Magnus Motorsport in, um, at the Rolex Twenty Four, and you'd be doing a few other endurance races uh, with them this year. The um, the SRO Pirelli GT Four Series takes you to some some pretty good tracks. I believe you're running at Coda. You're going to run at Virginia. Um, you've got a couple weekends uh, where you're partnering up with the Indy cars and whatnot. Uh, I, I believe you're at Long Beach. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a, that's correct. So we go to a bunch of really unique venues that we don't really get a chance to run in sports car racing a lot. You know, St. Pete's one of them. We run with IndyCar there. And then in Long Beach, and that's always one that you watch IndyCar guys drive and hope to get to. And then slowly they've been integrating different sports car series in as, as a support race. And so I've been fortunate enough to run that event uh, three or four times, and that's another one coming up. You know, Long Beach is probably the spiritual home of TRG, even if uh, the, the team's based out of Northern California. The team owner, Kevin Buckler, grew up in that area and really got the bug for racing watching cars at Long Beach. So that's uh, one of those places where I know he really wants to win this year. 
And then we have a lot of people that support us uh, out down in the Tampa St. Pete area. So those will be some fun venues. And then we get to race at Sonoma, which is basically the backyard of, uh, of the team. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the, the schedule, the series. Uh, VIR is probably the best venue we have in the U.S. Get to run there. And, uh, it, you know, if, if this Porsche is as good as we think it is, it should be a good season. Should be. Now, speaking of Porsche, you've, you've driven the bulk of your career uh, in Porsches. I've heard you referred to as a, a Porsche specialist uh, by one of your PR folks, Gail. Uh, she called you a Porsche specialist. So, uh, and, and again, you know, Porsche is one of the, um, the storied marks of racing. You know, they, they've set the bar in sports car racing time and time again. So, I mean, just, just what to you, uh, you know, you've driven some other type cars out there, but, but to, to call yourself a Porsche driver, is that something that you take a lot of pride in? Well, I think nowadays, now that we've gone to the GT3 spec, uh, the cars have actually become a lot closer as far as what the difference in the Lamborghini versus an Audi versus a Ferrari versus a BMW and a Porsche uh, kind of feel and drive like. But back in, say, 2013, when we were running in the American Le Mans series with the GTC category where the cars were uh, definitely rear engine and raw, there was only a handful of guys that were really quick in them. And to be amongst those guys, it was really cool. So um, I love the mark. I like the cars. But I, to me, if it's competitive, I like to drive it. But I think my favorite race I've ever run in my career was the ARCA race in New Jersey uh, in a you know 800-power car that had no – 800-horsepower car that had zero grip. But uh, the Porsche is kind of my wheelhouse. I know them really well. And when I get in them, I just kind of know setup-wise what they want. I know exactly how they need to be driven. And so I think that's a big advantage, and it, it helps kind of – you know, it helps me exploit the, the car and kind of take advantage of the of what it can do more so than some of the other makes. All right, now, uh, Seth, um, you've got uh, you've got a question. I know, Seth, you and I were discussing the overall health of sports car racing, and and you had some comments and questions on that. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, as far as sports car racing is concerned, uh, for, my understanding is Jim France had a lot of help in saving sports car racing, at least here in North America. Uh, and now he is heading NASCAR. Spencer, uh, what? how much did he do for sports car racing? And now that he's in NASCAR, uh, how much do you think his leadership experience in IMSA and sports cars will apply there? He has always been committed to sports car racing uh, to the point where I think you know we owe a vast majority of where the sport is right now to his vision and his uh, – his consistent support of the sport. There's been a lot of other people that have obviously had big influences. Don Panos, you think of one of them. But if you think about the influence that the France family's had on sports car racing, uh, he's one of the guys that is really responsible for what you say saw at Daytona, where you have a huge entry of top, top notch teams, uh, cars that are all professionally run, some of the best drivers in the world. And you think about like the class I was in GTD, there was 23 cars and I would say 21 of them really had a legitimate shot to win. So that type of environment that they've created, especially when you think about where it came from 20 years ago, where it was kind of a hodgepodge of different ideas and teams and cars and philosophies. He's done a fantastic job. He's had great help. I think he's attracted good people. And I think everything that he's done is going to help uh, wherever he goes. And NASCAR obviously is is near and dear to him as well. Uh, I hate to I hope he doesn't lose focus on what we're doing, because I think he's still a big part of IMSA and sports car racing. But uh, I think if NASCAR is going to kind of move in the future, 
uh, he's probably one of the guys that can help kind of lead it to new leadership and, and, and take, take the reins and go forward. And uh, speaking of venues as well, uh, something NASCAR did last year, they ran their first Roval race, as they called it, at Charlotte. Uh, and there was a lot of talk in the offseason of possibly IMSA running uh, that uh, course sometime in the near future. Would that be something you're interested in doing? I think the Rovals have historically been tough for IMSA, with the exception of Daytona. And one of the reasons is it's, it's difficult to attract fans in some of those markets. Now, I don't know how well sports car racing would play in Charlotte, uh, but I do know that even if we had a huge uh, crowd in, in sports car terms, the place would still kind of look empty when, when we got there. So um, it's one of those things where we've historically stayed away from them. Uh, it might be worth a try, but you know what? If we're going to try something new, I'd say let's go to an oval. Let's let's see what the Lamborghini can do at Richmond. Let's see what a Porsche GT4 does at Bristol. I mean, if we're going to mix it up, let's do that. <laughs> and uh, speaking of trying something different, I know you said you ran the ARCA car at New Jersey Motorsports Park a few years ago. And with having the connections to Brendan Gaughan and Bobby Labonte, have you ever considered essentially being a road course ringer in NASCAR, uh, running one of the road course races, whether it's in the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series, like how Andy Lally has done recently? Yeah, Andy Lally works very, very hard every year to try to put together those uh, those deals. And uh, he's always been an, a NASCAR fan. And I, I think if he had his pick from a young age, he would have been a NASCAR driver. But as your career kind of takes its turns and opportunities arise, he ended up being a sports car driver. Uh, I would also love to be a NASCAR driver. I'd love to do some ovals. I'd love to do more road courses, but I think at you know, my age, which is now 44, uh, there's so many younger kids that probably have bigger futures and they'll get some of those uh, investment dollars their way. I think it'd be an uphill battle. And to be honest, I've got my hands pretty full running, uh, you know, the series that I race in, in sports cars and doing some of the coaching I do. So um, as much fun as I had in that ARCA race, nothing really came of it. Um, I tried to find my way into a couple Xfinity races and some some Spring Cup back then, but it just didn't pan out. So I'm here and I'm ready to go, but at the same time, uh, uh, I'm not holding my breath. Now, have you ever had the opportunity to, you know, while you've been running the sports cars, to uh, in a testing situation or race situation, um, you know, uh, hop in and run one of the prototype cars? I have actually. Uh, I actually raced a, a Daytona prototype in, I want to say it was 2006. It was over 10 years ago. Uh, but it, but it still it was a good kind of taste of a, a prototype. And then a couple of test days, I've jumped in some high power radicals, things like that. I'm pretty much uh, committed to the GT cars. I find that uh, when I hop in those, they just kind of come naturally. I kind of felt the same way in the ARCA car. But when you get in the higher downforce stuff where you're doing more turning with the steering wheel and less with kind of the, the pedals, um, I feel like it's a different driving style, one that I I could adapt to over time, but I'm not going to. Uh, jump in anything right away and set the world on fire. Now, I did I did hear a story that uh, one of your Rolex 24 wins, you were missing the clutch in the car for for a good bulk of the time, um, and, and yet you still won the class. How uh, uh, you know how kind of uh, harrowing harrowing was that to try to to, to run that without the clutch? It was tough because uh, well, first off, I was in the car when it when it let go. I think uh, my co-driver Wolf. 
had had a little off and, and something went up and took out the line right by the gearbox, which in that car obviously is, you know, behind the driver in front of the engine. And so when he came in the pits, uh, you know, it kind of chugged to a stop. And so when I left, uh, there was still a little pressure in it, but it didn't want to go into gear. And, the, and we were still allowed to push the cars back then. So the guys gave me a little push and off we went. But after a couple of laps, it was completely gone. And uh, we decided, you know, we knew for sure if we pitted to fix it, we would be out of the race and we were leading. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At the time, so we decided to forge on. Now, in a lot of cars, you don't really need the clutch, but in that particular car, you needed it for downshifts because the sequential gearbox didn't really go from one gear through a neutral to the next. It went right from one to the other. So it would uh, very frequently grind and to try to rev the engine to match the revs. Uh, it was almost impossible without the clutch because it was never in neutral. So we were pretty uh, pretty sure the gearbox wasn't going to last. And then, of course, we had a long yellow flag for fog that year. And that was really tough, just kind of chugging around under yellow, not being able to stop the car on track. Uh, There's a couple times when the field would kind of slow down in an accordion and you'd have to just chug along and pass a couple cars. And then when it spread back out, you have to fall back into line. But... Uh, sure enough, we we forged on, uh, knowing that if we spun them, the race would be over. And the uh, myself and the rest of the guys, Brendan, Andy, Wolf, and uh, Steve, they're able to kind of nurse it. And sure enough, the gearbox had probably another five hours left on it. We we did our damage, but it wasn't so bad that it that that we were really kind of weren't going to make it. Oh, that's amazing! So now, Richard, uh, you'd like to chime in here? Yeah, I just got a, a couple of. A couple of questions, just more for some of so more from a curiosity point of view, and a, you know, to try and get your opinion on a few things. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned earlier um, when you've been running the Daytona Twenty Four, you have a lot of drivers from a sort of a diverse um, background. Do you think that you know the likes of Alonso coming over and some of the IndyCar drivers and some of the NASCAR drivers, you know, coming over and, and racing that series? Do you think, in a way, that sort of detracts from the job that you guys do because they're you know the sport obviously gets more attention for that race but it's only be, you know because they're there you know i, I don't know if you, you, tr- you get what i'm trying to ask here yeah, no, i i get what you're trying to say and i i never really thought of it that way you know to me the more attention we can bring to what we do i think the better and yeah. i i never saw someone coming over to join us for the 24 as being kind of a and a front to what we do. To me, it was always an extra. It was something mm-hmm. fun, a new experience, uh, some someone to learn from. 
uh, you know, especially you just look at their take on racing in general, not necessarily how they drive that particular car, but what's their philosophy on the big picture and how do they approach their job? They have a pretty interesting job when they come over. You know, they got a full season deal that's going on uh, without them after they leave. So, you know, if they yeah. mess up, if they crash the car, they could ruin a championship for other people. Mm-hmm. They're never going to see again the rest really, of the yeah. season. So <laughs> it's it's definitely a uh, a tough situation for them. But, uh, no, if someone were to come over and kind of take away a seat for the season, that would be a different thing. But I think the sports car drivers we have out there right now are, are a pretty good bunch. You know, the one thing in recent years, though, is that since we've gone to these driver ratings, and I'm not 100% sure all your listeners are going to be familiar with them, but in sports car racing, thanks to the big amateur presence that we've always had throughout the years, uh, we've tried to, as a community, formalize who's a professional, who's an amateur, and where you rank. So at Daytona, at least in my class, um, we can't really add a lot of drivers uh, thanks to the driver rating requirements. In GTD, you're only allowed to have two drivers that are above a gold rating. So unfortunately, the the year we brought in Bobby Labonte, we wouldn't be able to do that again this year. So one thing the driver ratings has hurt, among many, many other problems it's created in, in racing, is that we can't bring the guys like Bobby Labonte or Brendan Gaughan over anymore because we, we got to go find sneaky silver drivers to, to join. The team. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, I, I think the, the way that, um, you know, the, the series such as the, the, you know, the Imsa Endurance series and IndyCar's going, I think they're both two fantastic series. And from a, from a purist standpoint in terms of watching racing, I think they're second to none. I, I can't. I, I can't think there's anything more entertaining up there. I think it's it's interesting to get your thoughts on where sort of NASCAR sits at the moment um, from a driver's standpoint, because obviously that's the still in the US. That's the series that gets all the coverage, it gets all the attention, it gets all the media um, and, and column inches. But as a product, I think it's fair to say, and, and you know, I'm sure um, you know, Seth and Frank sort of share his opinion. It's not where it, it, it you know the, the quality of the racing and the quality of the show doesn't match the media presence it gets in a negative way whereas IMSA and IndyCar doesn't get the media presence it deserves in, in a positive way if you like um, you know do you think that over time it'll balance out and the series that you race in and IndyCar will continue to grow um, and that NASCAR will fall or do you think NASCAR can sort of reinvent itself a little bit? Oh well in my personal opinion, I do think NASCAR needs to do some soul searching. Uh, I think as as a product, um, you know, a lot of road racers when I first started racing would poo-poo it. I've always been a huge fan. And then once I got involved uh, when I was driving for TRG in the, you know, the late 2000s, uh, early 10s, and got to see from, you know, sports car side of that company what they were doing on the NASCAR side, I even, uh, you know, increased my appreciation for how hard and difficult it is. But you know, right now, um, I, I've got a young kid who's six years old. And he's a huge Chase Elliott fan, but uh, he he can't sit through um, a four and a half hour race. Um, you know, he he can't sit through a long single file uh, parade for you know hours and hours. It doesn't really mean anything till the end. Um, I do think they need to find a way to, without using gimmicks. Uh, mm-hmm. make it more competitive and make it more compact. Uh, why those races need to take as long as they're currently taking, I have no idea. I think they could do it all in a, in a two-hour yeah. show. For example, you know, we had four cars wreck at Daytona last week, and 
for some reason we're under red flag for half an hour. We wrecked four cars in sports car racing. Um, I think it takes a long time when it's five laps under yellow, you know, and here we are half an hour sitting there waiting. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, you know, I understand having you know the, the 600 being a long race. I understand having Daytona being a long race, but the average race doesn't need to, to last as long. And I think there's other issues too. Now uh, I think sports car racing though, as we've seen is more gentleman driven. So in order for sports car racing to be successful, we need to have a healthy paddock. Whereas in order for NASCAR to be successful, they need to have a healthy fan base. I think there are two different challenges. And I think those things are going to be on two different cycles always as the economy kind of comes and goes and people make investments. Uh, for sports car racing, uh, I think we're doing really well now that the economy is good. But I, I hope we have the ability to adjust quickly when suddenly three and a half million, four million dollar GTD budgets uh, aren't going to match with a, a shrinking economy. Uh, so. To answer the question, I don't have a really good uh, answer. Yeah. But, uh, and then IndyCar, you know, I, I, I watch as a fan, mostly the 500, but uh, I see huge potential there as the racing is fantastic. Indy never fails to disappoint, and they've got great racing throughout the season, uh, and, and it's compelling stories behind it. Uh, I have no idea where, where that's going to go either. But, uh, but that's my take on everything. I haven't, you know, like, it's a great question. I can't answer it. Yeah, I think I'm sure the the marketing people with all three series probably can't answer it either. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? But you know, you you raised the point there when you've worked uh, with the NASCAR guys and been close to there. I think one of the issues it has is that the driving standards are actually massively underrated. You know, everybody sits there and thinks, oh, these guys just turn left all the time, but there is a huge skill to it. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to, to work with some pretty good drivers through that time. In fact, Brendan Gorn, I, I worked with him a little bit um, on and off for a couple of years. And, you know, the talent levels of these guys are huge, but they don't really get the respect and the, you know, the, the sort of, you know, these guys are really, really good drivers. They're not just a, you know, a face or a, a PR tool. These are damn good drivers, these guys. Well, they they have always been, in my opinion, some of the best in the world, and that, that's why I think when you see guys doing crossovers and and going really fast, Jeff Gordon, I'm sure, could have raced anything. Mm -hmm. uh, Stewart was one of those once in twenty year talents that come along. Um, you know, there's a bunch of them over there that could have been successful anywhere they decided to go, but happened to find their path to NASCAR. Uh, that's definitely the case. Um, I hope that continues as I watch NASCAR. I don't know if I'm right about this, but the outside observation is seems to be that's going to more of a series where the funding takes precedent as far as what you need to get into the seat. Now that's mm -hmm. that's not to say that it hasn't always been the case part of the way in every racing series since racing started, but it seems to me that lately the stars we have seem to have come out of nowhere uh, three years ago and. I don't see them the same gritty guys that cut their teeth on the short tracks uh, that, that we had when the last generation got up to to, to fame and, and fortune in NASCAR. Does that is that matter? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just, I, and am I right? I don't know either, but that that's just kind of the impression I get from the outside. Now, my question, uh, NASCAR, you know, since we're on that topic, uh, NASCAR has said nothing is off the table as far as w trying to build their fan base back up. Uh, one of their questions to the fan council uh, this past weekend was, 
would you want to see a NASCAR race on a street course? Do you think it's possible to have, whether it's the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, or the Truck Series, anything like that, on a street course like Long Beach or any other one like Belle Isle? Well, I think that could the cars race there? Absolutely. Would it be a good race? Probably. Uh, definitely would be exciting. There would definitely be some action. The infrastructure, I think, is always the tough part there, but that's not to say it's impossible. So, yeah, if they can find a way to get uh, the crowd, the teams, and everything to work at Long Beach, absolutely. They, they should definitely try that. Uh, there's a lot of things I think they could do. Uh, one, one, of my, uh, one of the engineers I've worked with in the past, who I think is one of the top guys out there, is a guy named Jeff Brown. Colin Brown's dad, and he did an interview with a, uh, some friends of mine where he talked about what he would change if he got into racing, and he w- was able to wave a magic wand. And one thing he said was he would reduce the downforce across the board in every series uh, by 50%, probably better yet, 70%. And I think if NASCAR could get rid of the arrow packages that cause a lot of the racing to not be as good, and we could just get rid of a lot of that side force that and let the cars kind of work on their tire and their suspension. That might help make the racing better. But as far as attracting a fan base, um, there's a lot of potential out there. The biggest thing is I think you've got to stay away from gimmicks. You've got to go with you know, hard work, putting the series together, making sure that the races are compelling because they're good races and because we want to see an outcome that happens on the track, not before everyone gets there. And then I think the fans will come back. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, Spetch, I want to, before we close out, I want to give you a couple minutes to, uh, uh, you know, plug your sponsors, let us know where we can find you on social media. I know we'll, I know we'll find you next on a racetrack at uh, St. Pete in um, the weekend of March 8 to 10. Um, so, uh, if you want to just go ahead and uh, plug, plug your projects for us, your sponsors, uh, and your social media, um, we'd appreciate that. Let our, let our fans know where they can uh, find you and reach out to you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, Spencer Pompelli at Twitter is probably the best way to go. I'm also on Instagram at Spencer underscore Pompelli, I believe. I actually had an account get hacked, and I had to change my thing a long time ago, so I always forget which one was actually the real one, which one was the hacked one, but I'm pretty sure Spencer underscore Pompelli is the one. And then uh, I'm going to be racing this year for the Racers Group in the Pirelli uh, SRO GT4 Sprint Championship, so... Uh, we'll be racing like some of the tracks we talked about earlier, and uh, that's a championship that I believe is eight rounds with 16 events. And our sponsors this year are going to be uh, the Racers Group, who's the team that's putting the effort together. Adobe Road Winery makes fantastic wines. Um, I'm not as quite up on the wine knowledge as uh, the guy that runs it, who is just uh, is he's like a college professor on how you make good wines, but I know all I know is that they're fantastic. And, uh, after the races, I really enjoy them. And then we've got uh, LaSalle solutions helping out and a lot of other good partners there. And then I'm also going to be running the, uh, NAEC, the uh, North American endurance championship with Magnus racing and Lamborghini over in the IMSA side of things. So there's a lot coming up, a lot uh, to be excited about this year. Hopefully the, uh, the, the world challenge stuff leads to a championship and, uh, hopefully the Magnus team, does good with and without me, and uh, we'll come to the end of the season with uh, some smiles on our face and do it again next year. All right. Well, we wish we wish you the best of luck in your 2019 season, and um, we'll uh, we'll we'll follow you. We'll we'll, we'll keep up with you, and uh, maybe you know at the end of the season uh, you can come on here and talk about uh, winning that championship. So yeah, so we do wish you... all right. So uh, uh, listen. 
go, go ahead, sir. Yeah, thanks again for having me. All the best, guys. All right, guys. Hey, we're uh, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Everybody, we'll be right back. You're listening to Drafting the Circuits. Do you owe back taxes to the IRS or state? The secret to avoiding the IRS nightmare is to seek professional representation. My friends at Security Tax Associates provide the most cost-effective and ethical representation in the industry while helping to avoid seizures, levies, and wage garnishments. Security Tax Associates is here to ensure that the appropriate steps are taken to permanently eliminate any possibility of future tax burdens once and for all. For a free, no-obligation consultation, contact Security Tax Associates, 844-779-4177. That's 844-779-4177. 844-779-4177. Or visit them at securitytaxassociates.com. Welcome back to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. You're listening to Drafting the Circuits. Uh, what a great in- interview with Spencer Pompelli, huh? Fantastic guest. Uh, hopefully, uh, we wish him the best uh, this year. But, uh, guys, let's, uh, let's, let's get our racing report out of the way. Let's talk about the great American race, the Daytona 500. This one, um, it took a while to get it in. It, it, it finished rather late, finished under the lights. Uh, but at, like we mentioned earlier, at the end of the day, uh, Gibbs cars up front, Denny Hamlin, Snaps a pretty significant uh, losing streak. I, I don't believe he uh, put a, a race win up last year at all. So a uh, great way for uh, Denny to start his season. So uh, so Seth, Richard, uh, you guys watched the race. Let's uh, let's talk about it, Seth. Well, for Hamlin, he is I think the seventh driver who went winless the previous season to win the season opening Daytona 500. But one two three the first time since 1997 when Hendrick. Uh, went one, two, three in the 500. Uh, you had Joey Logano and Michael McDowell uh, rounding out the top five, surviving the chaos at the end. But overall, it was a very interesting race. Uh, they, if they were side by, if they were single file for maybe five, ten minutes, that was a lot compared to the duels and the clash and the Xfinity race which had a lot of people concerned that it was going to be single file all day long. Uh, You had Jimmy Johnson, Stenhouse, and a few others try to do a very sneaky, we're not going to tell anyone we're pitting, and it came back to bite them because people further back couldn't slow up in time. Uh, Cody Ware went spinning, taking out Tyler Reddick, the rear end of Jimmy Johnson's car. I don't know how they were able to fuel that. At the very end, he actually got penalized for improper fueling. Somehow was able to come back and finish on the lead lap. Uh, Matty Bendetto led the most laps ever in his career, not only in a single race, but he led more laps in the 500 than he has in his career to date in the Cup Series. And that is after taking a chance, moving over to uh, Levine Family Racing, back to Toyota. Uh, It was just an interesting race overall. So speaking of Michael McDowell, right? So you know, good run for the guy. Again, you know, Daytona is hardly uh, a good barometer of, of how your season's going to go. Um, but uh, Levine, they've been, you know, they're they've always been a pretty good, you know, middle uh, of the middle of the pack team. Um, but uh, uh, they definitely look sharp. Sharp. Bendetto. 
Huh? You said McDowell. That's D Bandetta. Mad, mad B dead. Yeah, okay. P- pardon me. One of them M guys. Yeah, I know Michael McDowell has a problem that uh, he, he doesn't get paid to push Joey Logano around. But but we're talking about Matt DiBenedetto um, and taking over the ride vacated by Casey Mears, correct? Casey Kane. Okay, so you see? He's, I'm, I'm the IndyCar guy here. So, so Seth, so, but you know what my question is, right? Do, do you feel like this, this move, uh, even though we're only one race in, this could be fruitful for this team? It just seemed like as a team – that they all kind of gelled and worked well together, even on even on just a short time. I think so, and in the long run, I think that I also think he'll make the tra- the playoffs this year. Um, in that, I think that would be a win for the team. Uh, just overall, be after the the way they came into the sport, running part time, aligning with Richard Childress Racing, splitting races to uh, have Austin Dillon and Ty Dillon in their cars at times. And then going over, aligning with Hendrick, and now moving over to be aligned with Toyota and Gibbs. I don't think they're next Furniture Row Racing because they don't have the same people. They don't have the same philosophy. They're not out in the middle of essentially nowhere like how Furniture Row was out in Denver, Colorado. But at the same time, I think that they will at least have some semblance of a team that came in on their own terms, moving uh, to be competitive on their own terms. All right. Now, Richard, you have some impressions of this race? Yeah, I thought it was a, it was more entertaining, uh, as they said, than it, than it could have been. Um, you know, thankfully that second row, that second lane formed and uh, there was some pretty good racing out there, but uh, in a way, you know, there was a bit of an anticlimax there at the end with, with no real passing at the end. And, I think it was a bit of a um, a shame that we lost so many cars, what, 10, 10 or so laps from the end, because, um, you know, there wasn't enough cars that were intact and running quickly at the at the end of the race to form a second line. So so Denny Hamlin pretty much um, had it uh, had it all sewn up there. He, you know, he knew that none of his teammates were going to do anything really stupid back there. But, uh, no, it, it was good. I think it, it um, you know... It was a, one of the more entertaining 500s, and uh, um, you know, obviously, onto onto Atlanta next week, um, weather permitting. And just one more thing that made at least the overall race entertaining, or at least one specific part: Ryan Priest, uh, mm, yeah, that wreck avoidance, shooting through the middle, almost like it was Days of Thunder, and he wasn't the only one to do it. He was just the only one that. Uh, the broadcast TV showed uh, on the first overtime attempt in that wreck. That was when Priest shot through the middle, avoided uh, spinning Chase Elliott on the apron and a spinning uh, Stenhouse and Larson up on the banking. I don't know how he got through that without spinning because of the, he was straddling the uh, banking and the apron with the different degrees. Usually, when drivers try to do that, the car just uh, gets loose and wipes out. And he went back on the second overtime attempt and juked the car to the inside, avoiding another wreck. While at the same time, Eric Jones shot through the middle, avoiding the carnage. And for him, it was like the seas parted uh, like Moses. At the same time, uh, that 
uh, happened for Jones. Next to Jones was Brendan Gaughan. While the seeds part for Jones, Gaughan's car got destroyed in the big one. A lot of cars got destroyed in that big one. So now, Richard, I want to ask you this because, and it's just, I'm just following up on a social social media comment that I read, but somebody had mentioned that the amount of sparks flying from underneath the cars during during that big one there was twice what what we're used to seeing. And I have to agree that one uh, that you know that 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 um, Fox TV was so. Uh, nice to show over and over again in super slow motion, but uh, th- there were a tremendous amount of, of just sparks flying from underneath the car. Is that is that due to a, a lower ride, lowered ride, lowered ride height, or anything like that, or was it or just just the way that the cars were scraping against the concrete? A bit of both, though. I mean, also it was at night, so it you know it was dark. I think true, when that, true. that wreck happened, so it's obviously far more visual, but. I believe it was two years ago, maybe three years ago, that NASCAR removed the height rules for... Uh, three years ago. Three years ago, yeah. So, you know, in the past, NASCAR used to provide the, the, the springs for the shocks for the car, so they were set at a you know a restricted height, um, whereas now the his teams used to manipulate those and play silly games with them. Now NASCAR said, oh, you know what, just... Do whatever you like. So the cars and, do run lower to the ground than they, they used to, for sure. And that may have had something to do with it. But And I, on top of that, you also had the uh, rear bumper extension that went all the way down to the ground. Sure, yep. yep. So yeah, yeah. with uh, people blowing tires in the big one as they spun or this or that, that was also dragging, increasing the sparks. Yeah. And, and we did, speaking of tires, right, we, we saw a couple catastrophic tire failures. Um, I remember Keselowski had the one because I actually had to make the joke that, oh, it's the, the car sponsored by Discount Tire has the tire blowout in grand fashion. But then a few laps later, the, I, I believe or, or earlier, yeah, Kyle Larson had just just the tire just go away. Is, uh, again, now, Richard, we've talked about this a little bit, or, or Gray and I have certainly talked about this. Is it is it a problem with the product that, that Goodyear is bringing, or is it the team's manipulation of the the pressures and whatnot uh, because the funny thing is you watch indycar racing right and, and indycar drivers will tout firestone uh as a wonderful tire provider and, and they cannot say enough good things about them and you just don't see these sort of things but uh it's not uncommon to to get a nascar guy to just kind of trash goodyear publicly <laughs> and i think you know tony stewart most famously um yeah. but um is 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 Goodyear is Goodyear bringing their A game to NASCAR this day and age, or are they phoning it in? Um, oy. well, well that's a tough question. Yeah, a good question. If I, if you, I don't uh, work, you don't work for Goodyear, so no. <laughs> if I can uh, get in the yeah. middle real quick, uh, at least for Larson, that tire was because of contact. Yeah, I mean, I think that where where the where the bigger issues come, in, I think where the Goodyear get their their flack is. Is more from the performance uh, and the durability and the wear rather than the integrity of the carcass. I mean, if you want to look at a real issue, you look at Formula One in what 2013, 14, 15-ish, when tires were exploding left, right, and center. Or, um, or at least for NASCAR, uh, just look at the 2008 Brickyard. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That was that was a debacle. Yeah. So they've they've got to. Um, you know, there, there is obviously pressure on them to perform and, and make a product which is 
um, durable, but also consistent. You know, people don't mind tyres that last 10 laps. They don't mind tyres that last 60 laps. What they do mind is when you put the same compound on and one set lasts 10 and the other lasts 60. You know, they need that consistency. And you're right to a certain extent that there are a certain amount of um, shenanigans going on with some of the tyre compounds and the pressures and leaking tyres and all this sort of stuff. As, as old as the hills when it comes to, to NASCAR, that sort of stuff. So sometimes, yeah, you know, you, you, you've got to be, you know, what's the saying? People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones sort of thing. You know, the, the, they've got to be a little bit careful, these guys in NASCAR, especially when they're, they're playing the games. But um, I think on the whole, they make a pretty good product. I mean, you've got to look at, um, A, how many they have to manufacture, what loads and stresses they're going through. Um, and, you know, again, they've got to try and be reasonably consistent. You know, the, the Q, QC um, levels on these things are pretty high because, you know, they, they do have to all be the same. And, and, you know, you talk to some of the old, older crew chiefs and, each tyre has a date and code stamp on it, and some of them swear that they pick out certain tyres with certain date codes and all this sort of voodoo stuff. is a complete load of rubbish. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think on the whole they do, a, they do a pretty good job, and the drivers just want to complain about something. Well, yeah, because you don't want it to be the driver's fault. So. Exactly. And it's column <laughs> inches, isn't it? It's column inches. It gets the name out there. Yeah, so uh, but this is a good good segue to um, let's talk about the um, the Xfinity race for a little bit, okay? And speaking of QC, like you said, although it wasn't Goodyear, uh, there was a QC issue in the Xfinity race, uh, specifically with Brad Keselowski's oh, yeah. roof hatch. Yeah, uh, lap one, turn one, uh, the latch for the roof hatch that keeps it locked down uh, failed. And NASCAR told Team Penske to work on a solution, try to come up with a game plan to fix it. Uh, Eventually, they removed the old hatch during one of the stage breaks, replaced it with the backup one. And about five laps after they went green, it uh, had catastrophic failure ripping off the car uh, on the front stretch. Brad Keselowski described it as, as if he had time traveled back to the 1950s and was driving uh, one of the convertibles on the beach. Uh, in the end, what caused it was a defect from the factory. Remember, these are all composite cars, so they're all made by the same factory, at least in theory. They're all made by the same factory, I believe, Five Star Bodies produces them. So if that's a defect from the factory, could this also be something we could see with other cards or other defects in other areas, yeah, you'd, oh, you'd want to help. You'd want to help us isolate it, isn't it? But mm. but but to Kozlowski's point about driving a convertible, I mean, now Seth, I didn't see the issue you're talking about. So did the whole the, the roof the, the flap flap the, tore, tore off? Not the it. flap, the hatch. This is the emergency hatch in yeah. case the car were to flip. That driver could climb out through the roof. Oh, okay. So the whole the whole hatch. So it, so so literally, yeah. He was literally he was driving a convertible. Yes. Golly, the, uh, that had on, to be scary. On the TV coverage, they were sort of making it out as if it was a flap, which was a little bit misleading. Um, yeah, I, I, I what I had read, I thought it was the flap. I didn't realize yeah. that he lost the whole roof of the car. Yeah, so yeah, he lost yeah. the whole driver's side roof. That's yeah. pretty. That's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. And just some of the good stories that came out of the Xfinity race, granted, it was all 
single file. It was won and dominated by Michael Netdown's his first career victory uh, in like 240-something starts. Uh, you had Ryan Sieg finishing fourth in his family-owned RSS Racing Chevrolet. His teammate, which that card usually starts in parks in 93, finished seventh, Jeff Green. Uh, you just had some good stories. The only drivers that were really trying to make something happen in the Xfinity Series, uh, Chase Elliott won the Cup Drivers. You, I would say Brad Keselowski, but he never really had a chance because of the roof hatch issue. You had some uh, other drivers qualify up inside the top 12, which it was very unusual for them. Cesar Baccarella in the number 90 for Mario Goslin. He was running well until he cut tire late, bounced off the wall. And Greg Golding, who also qualified inside the top 12 for Bobby Dollar's SS Greenlight Racing. The problem he had, uh, he got spun on the backstretch for the race's only incident caution. He had two cautions that were for the stages, one for the debris from Brad Keselowski's car, and then when he got spun on the backstretch. Okay, and the truck race then? Let's talk about the truck race for a little bit before we uh, transition over to start talking about some IndyCar and Formula One news. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the truck race by saying we had a record low for finishing trucks. Uh, Austin Hill got his first career win, surviving the carnage, having one of only two undamaged trucks throughout the entire race. The other one was Josh Rayome, who finished sixth in his uh, self-owned Rayome Brothers racing Chevrolet. And mind you, Josh Rayome started last in the field, and he was able to climb through the field, avoiding the wrecks to finish sixth. Um, it started out in almost a, uh, how should I word it, a Friday the 13th style. We had three trucks on the opening lap cut tires because of debris. Natalie Decker, her truck went up in flames. Uh, you had David Gilliland, he was able to salvage uh what looked to be a good finish until he got caught up in a wreck and Brian Dozat who bounced off the wall, his brake rotor exploded as a result, trying to warn his crew as he came to pit road. Uh, the Jackman, uh, Billy rock didn't get the message or the warning ran out and got hit. Uh, he cartwheeled landing head first on the pavement. Uh, he has a broken right shoulder which, if that's the only injury, that is actually pretty lucky. But uh, one of the other good stories from the race, you had Angela Roosh, uh, Derek Cope's niece. It was her first truck race since 2010. She led two laps in the race, her first laps that she's ever led, and she finished eighth. Uh, she had been running inside the top five for the bulk of the race, fell back when a... Uh, I believe she was beginning to lose a cylinder. But otherwise, she had a good run, and she's only the second woman to finish inside the top 10 in the truck race. Fantastic. Good for her. Good for her. So uh, we're on to Atlanta, and we're going to make some picks here. And speaking of making picks, I I am compelled to let you know that uh, uh, Hoobazoo.com, in addition to hosting Drafting the circuits, there's we have a sister website now that is called pubnascar.com. And this is a 
pool you can get in and pick uh, NASCAR drivers each week. Um, and for a small fee, you can win bigger money if your if your picks win. Um, just just check it out. There's a link to it on the drafting the website, uh, drafting the circuits website. Um, otherwise, just go to hoobazoo.com/slash/pubnascar and um, take a look at that. So, but speaking of which, so now our picks each week are going into the pool. We have our own DTC team. Um, we get to pick three drivers a week. So. We, you know, there's three of us tonight, so we we all get one and see how we do. So, who do you like for Atlanta, Richard? Kevin Harvick. And Seth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. Well, since Harvick's been taken, uh, let's go with Keselowski. All right. So I'll go with Kyle Busch. Um, so those are all pretty solid picks early in the season. Uh, all, you know, solid known winners. Um, so uh, that being said, let's uh, let's turn our attention to IndyCar briefly. Um, the IndyCars were testing down in Coda. Um, really strong high marks um, from the drivers on the circuit. And, and Richard, you and I talked uh, last week about uh, some of the you know, the time disparity between Formula One, so we don't need to kind of hash all that out again. But but I guess the bigger news coming out of IndyCar is uh, that the um, the windscreen that we're working on last year is not quite ready. The um, the PPG Industries that is working on the glass has uh, decided that even though the tests were successful and the drivers reported, the drivers that tested these reported no problems with the vision, uh, they've decided they're not quite ready to roll this out, um, and they require further testing. And not a lot more detail than that. I, I don't know if they're they're worried about the integrity or the structure of the thing, or if they just simply want more test data. But uh, in the meantime, the stopgap measure is called the AFP, the Advanced Frontal Protection, and it looks at, it looks like a little nub on the on the front of the cockpit there. <laughs> Um, it looks like, uh, uh, Richard, like you said, almost looks like a little camera mount. Um, yeah. And it's made of titanium. It's going to be standard on every chassis. Um, and it's, you know, it's not as, as large and intrusive as the halo, but it should, uh, you know, smaller bits of debris should, this should kind of deflect them away from the driver's helmet. So you, you're talking, this is to take care of anything that's kind of slingshot right towards there. But, but again, it, it, it's rather small. Um, again, my belief is the temporary measure until, uh, the, the windscreen is ready. So, uh, we'll just have to see how this plays out. Um, again, IndyCar fans tend to dislike the halo, even though it's been proven, um, in use. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, I digress, but speaking of halo, uh, you'll find those on the 2019 Formula One cars, and all the 2019 Formula One cars were in Spain testing. Uh, Williams was late to the game, but they did make it. So, Richard, let's uh, let's talk about um, some of the times coming out of uh, mm-hmm. uh, out of Spain, and it, 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 it seems like that the Honda engine is uh, much improved since it's uh, come out of the back of a McLaren and ended up into a uh, Toro Rosso car. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, seriously, it's good to get back uh, out there to see the cars on track again. So for 2019, um, you know, a few driver changes, a few, a few drivers shuffling around there. 
Um, I guess the Pierre Gasly and Charles Leclerc and the uh, Red Bull and Ferrari, respectively, are probably the two biggest stories. Um, you know, Williams being late to the party, unfortunately, that was another big story that's come out of there. They finally turned up today and got 20-something laps in. Um, in reality, they've missed three days of testing, which is three days out of only a possible eight. So they're um, they're on the back foot already there, unfortunately, after a disastrous yeah, 2018. Am I correct in a little tidbit of today that they actually showed up in last year's car? Or was that was, – did I, did I miss I don't this? think that's the case. I think that's Okay, so they, they do have a new car? They had a new aero pack. Well, the chassis may be last year's chassis, but the aero was certainly 2019 regulations. And okay, all right. The um, They did say that they are – there's new aero parts being delivered tonight for doing proper running um, on on Thursday, on the final day of the four. So, yeah, I, I think they're, it, it's a lot more than a 2018 car that they've got there. But, you know, the, the impressive times have come from Ferrari, most definitely. They've been very, very fast, uh, consistent. Uh, both drivers, um, Patel and uh, Charles Leclerc, very... Um, very good. Um, Mercedes, consistent, banging in lap after lap, as you have seen for the last few years from them. Um, maybe not had the pace, but you don't know what the program each individual team's in. You know, you don't win anything in testing, um, apart from maybe a few sponsors if you're really desperate. Um, and then, as you said earlier, you know, the, the Honda engine in the, in the Red Bull been, has been pretty good. There's been no reliability issues on that side. Um, Pierre Gasly, I think it was yesterday, um, unfortunately, went off and hit the wall reasonably hard, um, which could have caused a bit of damage. But uh, you know, again, they've been good. And I mean, you know, because Red Bull are going to give very, very positive words on on Honda, especially after their sort of acrimonious split from Renault, um, which seems to seem to go on for two or three seasons. Um, so yeah, you know, you you're starting to see Honda where you expect them to see them. Are they going to be up there competing and, and pushing um, Mercedes and um, Ferrari week in week out. I doubt it. I still think there's a, there are a little bit of performance drop there, but it's certainly a. I, I think it's easier for Honda to improve from where they are in the field than where they were, unfortunately, with uh, McLaren for those three seasons. Um, the impressive team, I think, from um, preseason testing so far has been Alfa Romeo. Continue on the phenomenal performance that they had last year as the Sauber team I mean I still think that 2018 team of the year was Sauber when you look at where they started um, in Melbourne to where they finished uh, in Abu Dhabi they went from you know scrapping at the last couple of places through to a you know regularly top six um, position and, and they've certainly continued that so far during pre-season testing been very very impressive um, yeah, plus plus this year they add Kimi Raikkonen to their driver. Well, they've got which... Kimi in there and uh, Giovinazzi as well. So they've got two. You know, they've got a very experienced driver and a you know a, a young kid who's come through with lots of promise. So yeah, you hope that um, you know that continues because they're they're although they're now branded as Alfa Romeo, um, you know they are still Sauber. They've kept the chassis names. I think it's C thirty eight. I think they're up to now. Um, so they're keeping the Sauber um, sort of naming system, which I think is quite good. Uh, outside of Williams, the most disappointing team, I think, has probably been Haas. They've had a lot of issues and stopped on track two or three times at least, maybe even four now. 
Um, and, you know, back in the day, I remember going to pre-season tests when I was working for Honda. And, you know, if you got 20 laps in, in a day, it was a good day. Now you're doing 120 laps. Um, so, you know, to have those sort of issues, even now, like fuel pressure pickup problems, you know, in 2019, they shouldn't be happening, really. Um, they should be better than that. So it's it's disappointing to see that from those guys. They've certainly got potential. They've got the new sponsorship deal. Um, so we'll, we'll see how they go there. Um, other little things to note. Renault had an embarrassing DRS failure. Uh, the, the rear wing failed, which, di- which ditched uh, Ricciardo into a spin. He was lucky he didn't hit anything solid. Managed to get that one out um, of, the, of the gravel traps there. Uh, one, thing I wanted, one thing I just yeah. wanted to throw out here is that the um, Alfa Romeo, as a passenger car brand, has been yep. funnel- funneling a lot of money into U.S. advertising in the last year and a half. Yep. They're, re- they're really trying to relaunch the brand Mm-hmm. of Alfa Romeo in the United States. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure that this branding of the Formula One team is, is going to tie into that somehow. Definitely. So I, I just feel like there's, uh, oh, you know, then, uh, like Sauber is getting really solid factory support, you know, from mm-hmm. Ferrari slash yep. Alfa Romeo compared to what Haas is getting. And I think, uh, you, know, cause, you know, we've talked about Renault or, you know, being the number four team, but but I feel like we've maybe overlooked. Um, oh, for sure. You know, Sauber in this in this deal, they could they could vault themselves right up there. Now, without knowing the true connection, you know, and the inside details. Obviously, you know, last year there's a lot of talk about Haas being the Ferrari B team, and to a certain extent, I think a lot of that is is, is possibly true. But you look at what um, you know, Sauber have done. And, and Alfa Romeo, then you know they they are a lot more independent, I think, than Hassa. They make their own you know, in-house. They make their own chassis. They've got their own wind tunnel. Um, they have you know a pretty big setup. You know, Hass owns the old Virgin Racing Marussia facility in the UK, um, and the chassis and everything and, and the aero is done in Italy. So it's a little bit more disconnected. And I think over time that will start to um, sort of show. You know, you do need everything all under one roof. Um, but one quick, one quick thing that was released this uh, week, which sort of gives us a little bit of an insight into 2021 and, before, and beyond, which is when the big rule changes are coming in in Formula 1. Um, the FIA have put out a, a tender for a standard gearbox, uh, internals. So, uh, and it's a pretty quick turnaround. I think the deadline is like March 15th uh, for companies like X-Track and the guys like that to submit a plan. So the internal mechanisms of the gearbox will be standard and a seven-speed gearbox rather than the current eight. There'll be seven-speed gearbox, but the teams will be allowed to design their own casing. So for some teams who um, buy in rear-end gearbox transmission, I think um, um, Racing Force or Point or whatever they're called these days, they buy the system from Mercedes. Um, Toro Rosso obviously gets it from Red Bull. I believe Haas gets their rear end from Ferrari. They'll now have to start making proprietary rear end housings as well. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that one works. Yeah, sure will. So they've got uh, they, they got to test Thursday coming up, which will yep. be done by the time we go in the air. And then yep. is, is there another test before? Um, I think there's a week off and then there's another four day test. And then there's a week off then it's Melbourne. So I think Melbourne's sort of 17th of March or maybe the week after. 
Mid- uh, yeah, yeah, I want to say I want to say yes. The week after the IndyCar season opener, which is on March 10th, and then Melbourne's the week after that. So, uh, but guys, we are out of time. So, uh, uh, you know, Richard, thank you so much. Um, Seth, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you guys. Um, I want to thank our guest again, Spencer Pompelli, for coming on. Uh, he was fantastic to, to chat with. I want to thank all you folks who listened to us. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and I want to tell all you folks good night. Talk to you in a week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 